Welcome to the Talent Talk with Robert Walters podcast, where we speak to business leaders around the globe to bring you the latest trends and insights from the world of work. Hi, everybody, and welcome to uh, Talent Talk podcast by Robert Walters. Uh, And then the first in this season, which is going to be all around technology, cloud, infrastructure, and leadership. So over the course of this podcast series, we'll be sitting down with various CTOs, CIOs uh, from various businesses across the UK, uh, discussing technology and how best to implement it, along with architects and engineers, uh, and also examining, you know, what makes these people tick, why they do what they do, what drives them forward, and why are they so passionate about the sector that they work in. My name is Richard Jenkins. I will be your host. And as a very brief background, I'm a senior manager here at Robert Walters, and I lead the cloud and infrastructure practice in this fantastic city of Manchester. I'm also a longtime suffering Bolton Wanderers fan, uh, a dad to a 10-month-year-old, and I'm very passionate about technology recruitment. So let's get things started. Uh, Really happy to say that our first guest uh, is Mark Jones, who's a head of technology. Um, He's had a fantastic career spanning some incredibly well-known businesses, uh, starting out as a software engineer, moving into BI and data, uh, and culminating more recently as a leader uh, in various roles. Uh, Mark also has a real interest in data, uh, which will also act as a a main focal point for our discussion today. So Mark, welcome and, and great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, so what we'll do then, Mark, is we'll, um, we'll, we'll start at the beginning, if that's all right. It'd be great to get you to maybe talk us through your background a little bit. Sure. So um, I started off in the early to mid-2000s doing web and middleware development uh, straight out of university before moving to data around about 2010. Uh, since then, I've held jobs uh, as a data engineer, solution architect, and various engineering management positions. I sort of hop around between those. Yeah. Great. And uh, which one have you probably enjoyed the most then during your career? Have you got one that you you think is the best or the one you enjoyed the most? Oh, I don't know. I mean, data engineering is quite an exciting one because obviously you get to you get to do a lot of hands-on stuff and build a load of uh, interesting things. Although I'm probably more towards the engineering management and architecture side of things now is finding that more interesting in terms of helping people succeed and helping organizations build the right things. Yeah. Great. Um, and, and how did you get into technology then? Oh, well, that, that was kind of weird, actually. I, I was given an old Amstrad uh, by my uncle when I was young, and it was about as old as yeah. I was when I got it, which was about sort of 10 or 11 years old. And I spent some time playing with it. Yeah. And then um, I kind of sort of didn't realize that I could really become a programmer. And so I was looking to try and become an electronics engineer. And it was when I went off to my A-levels, I needed the third A-level to go with physics and electronics. And I chose computing on a whim because I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. And then that led me to go, oh, actually, I really like doing this instead. So uh, I went off to study software engineering at uni and um, then ended up with my first job as a .NET developer. Great. Um, and and how, did that, how, how do you think that market compares in terms of finding a job um, back when you started to now? Was it quite rare to, to go and jump into a technology role then or were there plenty about what was it like so there was there was a lot there because we were building up towards the 2008 crash because this would have been 2003 2004 and it yeah. was quite easy if you had some experience particularly in dot next that was the hot technology back then it's not quite as um 
heterogeneous as we're seeing now in terms of there was sort of you know like an oracle java camp and then there was like a microsoft camp yeah and there was a lot of you know a lot of organizations were running microsoft stuff from small companies to large companies and dotnet was obviously the new language on that so it was quite easy to get a job doing .NET. I don't think the market was anywhere near as hot as it is now, because I think whilst it was quite easy to find a role, we weren't seeing the sort of, you know, the, the, the sort of crazy salaries that we're starting to see yeah. uh, in the market at the moment. I would yeah. say crazy, but, you know, I mean, maybe maybe it's all valid. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, um, we're certainly, from a recruitment perspective, uh, seeing an incredible um, increase in, in, in some salaries across the market. But at the end of the day, it's a, highly candidate um, short market. So people are screaming out for the same talent, aren't they? So I, I guess you've got to pay for the, the best people. Um, Absolutely. Definitely supply and demand. Yeah. Um, so if we, if we take your career, then I, I, I see that you, you know, you, you've kind of moved from a, a solution architect to a, a more focused head of data position. Um, so I guess, you know, what interests you about data? I think the things that I find most interesting are that, well, well, I think all the really interesting, exciting things are ha- in terms of architecture and engineering are actually happening within the data space. Um, so, and I know there's probably people outside of data who don't think that's true or fair, but it's just the way that I personally see it. So yeah. I think what we've seen is data as a function has changed significantly within the last decades. Also, you know, last two decades is very different. I mean, even back when I joined the workforce, you know, we, we had like one DBA, data warehousing wasn't really talked about in the same way it is now. Um, mm. Whereas now you've got so much in terms of the different types of technology that you can work with. There's so many different types of roles that are available. Um, you know, because back then really the only two roles you tend to see was something like, you know, DBA and then like BI or ETL developer or something like that. Yeah. And I think there's so many interesting things to work on from the architecture point of view in terms of lots of different ideas around architecture. So you see things like Lambda architecture and Kappa architecture, et cetera, you know, down to things like which data model should you use? Should you use dimensional or data vault for your warehouse? Um, and, and then to which tools you use. And that's before we even get to the whole thing around like, you know, all the different things that have been happening in data science. Yeah. Um, I think I think what's really exciting is it, it's still quite, um, the, the space is still maturing. And I think there's so many more opportunities to learn and do new things uh, within the data space. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's incredibly fast moving, isn't it? And evolving all the time. Um, it's, yeah, that and probably cyber, which, you know, potentially go hand in hand, don't they? Um, are incredibly fast moving. And um, there's lots of change in, in those areas at the moment. Um I mean, what what would you say in terms of the trends then that you're seeing currently in the data world? So I think I think the first trend is that there's a greater awareness within businesses about what the value of a data function can be, um, as well as the need to sort of demonstrate it. So what I mean by that is, so just as we saw during the pandemic, a lot of websites that uh, sorry, not websites, a lot of companies that were not traditionally very heavy on their website suddenly went in all in on website and digital marketing and mm. everything else i think what they what we're also seeing is that those places start to see that that's where data can also play a big role and so we're seeing a bit of a, a bit of a scramble into trying to use data more than just for simple reporting so you know we're seeing uh greater uh, segmentation on customer models we're seeing it playing more into sort of advertising and the whole sort of ad tech and martech space mm. in terms of how do we, how do we make sure that we get data into those systems so it makes it so that we can better target the people we want to advertise to um, and again organizations i think are trying to get more mature in terms of their data usage and head towards the route of trying to use uh, data science techniques yes uh, absolutely and 
with with that then with businesses obviously trying to utilize data in many different ways that there's obviously a, a huge risk element to that isn't there um where, where do you see that uh, alongside maybe the cyber piece do, do you do you think the risk element of the data pieces is maybe undervalued at the moment by businesses or um do you see a, an evolution with that as well I think I think we're seeing we're seeing a mix of that. So I think governance is now starting to be taken a lot more seriously in terms of data. Yeah. I think historically there wasn't that much interest in it, and then we had things like GDPR that led to the Data Protection Act of 2018, and that gave us a, you know quite um, firm rules that people need to mm. apply to. But I think a lot of organisations still didn't quite understand what that meant. Um, so they understood that they might they would have to delete data, but exactly how they could process data and what they could do is probably something that the organisations are starting to become more aware of, particularly sort of executive leadership. Yeah. Um, and so what I think we're seeing also off the back of that is there's a lot of, you know, we're seeing a lot of startups, a lot of companies that are doing a lot of tooling in that space. So you're seeing things like there's a sort of explosion of data catalogs now on the market from things mm. like Alation and Calibra to um, tools that try to identify PII and other sensitive data to help you find those things and, and make sure that you've got the right rules in place. And I think that's a large part of that. It's about risk in terms of being able to govern what you have and explain what that is. Um, mm. But it's also, I think, about the need to sort of increased return on investment of companies data assets as platforms become more expensive and there's more tooling and there's a lot more data not only do you need to know where it is from a risk perspective but you also want people to be able to find it and use it to deliver some business value yeah great and what about the automation in the data world as well are you seeing an increase of automated tools that are maybe um, businesses are utilizing uh, more rapidly at the moment I think so, yes. So we've got things from sort of the classic sort of software engineering automation where we start, you know, we see a lot of CI, CD pipelines and what have you, whereas back, you know, 15 years ago, ETL development was you built it in a tool or something like that, and then you had to manually deploy it around. So we're seeing a lot of automated unit testing, continuous delivery and all that good stuff, up to attempts to try and um, automate some of the things and processes inside data. So there's various tools that uh, are on the market to try and help uh, ingest data into your data lake quicker for example so these are tools like um amazon's got one called AppFlow that supports some stuff around like mm. salesforce integrations directly into s3 and things like uh, tools like fivetran that will let you pull in like facebook and twitter and a bunch of other things and so the idea there is to make it so you can take a platform and just have it dump that data for you and it, mm. it takes away all that horrible stuff about trying to change things when twitter or facebook's api changes yeah so that's quite nice um, I think also in the data science space, because there's there's a shortage there as well, um, there's there's more interest in trying to automate that. So there's things like data robot, which are trying to automate machine learning rather than trying you know, to try and lift the, the light and the load on data scientists. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of maybe um, lifting the lid on on uh, this podcast a little bit. Um, I had seen some notes that you made before you obviously did this and one of the things that you mentioned was was data robot and I, I did a bit of reading um around that so they're an ai cloud business aren't they that um uh, that, that i i did some reading on one of their case studies that they work with a bank i believe it was a, a, a valley bank um and they reduced their money laundering alerts alerts by 22 percent um which apparently meant that they then didn't need to go and hire a, a data scientist uh, because it was doing the heavy lifting. So do, do you see 
an increase of those tools maybe affecting businesses hiring certain people into roles? Do you think that's going to change uh, the hiring profile of businesses with, with these type of automated uh, AI tools? Uh, to, to an extent, I, I think what it's going to do is it's going to make it easier for companies to, to sort of level the playing field. So I, I'd be very wary of running anything without, um, you know, a, a data scientist in place who can mm. oversee and tell you what those tools are doing um, just because some of this technology is quite new. And it's also good to be able to have that that oversight and understanding. I think it's a bit like it reminds me a bit of the low code sort of movement that we see whereby yes you can build applications in um with, with limited code, code knowledge and with some tooling but you still want to oversee that and there are times where you will need um you know an actual engineer to, yeah. to come in and oversee that or build a particular bit that that tool doesn't do so well i think what we're really seeing is it's going to it's going to make it easier to to live without an army of data professionals and so it can you can it could be more like you've got a smaller team that can punch above its weight because it has those automated tools available and it's more of a, an accelerator and an enabler. Yeah, great point. Um, so if we maybe move then into advice that you know that you would potentially give to a company looking to move into a, a more contemporary data architecture, what, what would that be? So, so I think I would say start small. Um, a lot of companies will try to go all in on building out an entire new data architecture. And it's like any large IT project. If you try to build the ocean, it'll probably take a very long time. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's increased risk of non-delivery. Yeah. Um, I think it's better to try and identify a capability that you don't currently have or some kind of news, new use case that you want and to try and follow that. Um, so, for example, it might be that you've got a, an old creaking data warehouse on a single platform node that you can't scale up or out and you might say well actually we need to be able to have a, a more scalable architecture we're going to hold more volume or we might need to be able to store something other than database tables in terms of you know we might want to store stuff in its original json format in which case a data lake is a good place to start there um but i think if you start small you identify the the gap that you've got and then build out only the elements you need so what i mean by that is you probably want to spend some time looking through it and coming up with a a full data architecture so that you understand exactly what conceptually you want that to fit in because you don't want to be building lots of point solutions but you want to sort of map out you know logically where you want to get to and what tools you'll think you'll need mm. and then just deliver just those bits of that architecture to deliver that use case and that way you can get the sort of maximum benefit for the minimum investment but you do need to do it with your eyes open because you don't want to back yourself into a corner yeah fantastic so do you think there are any specific tools processes or principles um that, that maybe feed into that or a change in the data landscape at the moment uh so i think i think in terms of um tools of, well actually the first thing i would say is thinking about people so if you're if you're mm. looking at moving into one of these modern you know building out in modern data architecture i'd definitely start off if you're going to hire your first sort of modern data employee it should be a data engineer as you want you're going to need that engineering rigor and someone with the right foundations and the first thing you're going to inevitably be doing is is, is shuffling some data around you know getting it from somewhere centralizing it that sort of stuff so yeah i would absolutely start off with an engineer first that you've got the rigor and the automation and then I would say um, if you're on a cloud platform, uh, you need to be doing infrastructure as code from day one. So things like mm. Terraform, 
uh, are brilliant for that sort of stuff. And it's just such a time saver in the long run, so you don't end up with environment drift. So I'd definitely say those are the best places to start. In yep. terms of tools, it's going to depend on the organization and the context. So if you know if you've got a lot of people that know SQL, you could look at something like DBT, which is uh, stands for Data Build Tool, which is a, a framework for running a bunch of SQL. Um, if you've got a load of people who already know Python, then there's there's a ton of frameworks out there for that. Um, don't know if that helps yeah absolutely yeah um so do you see there is there a change at the moment in the data landscape do you think some of these principles are a change in that that space absolutely i think there's there's lots of things going on that are that are trying that started to make some quite big inroads into um, how we look at data and, and some of it's about modern sort of data engineering practice where we're starting to see lots more serverless tech, for example. And mm. um, so things like Redshift has now got a serverless offering, which I think is in preview. Um, and you've got uh, tools like Snowflake that have been separating compute and storage for a while. So we're starting to see this more sort of metered pay-as-you-go thing. And obviously Google BigQuery has been around doing that for a long time. But we're seeing more of that from companies like Amazon to try and make it so there's more serverless stuff. So you're not trying to run like clusters of servers. Um, so that's, that's very much aligning to the standard sort of software or the mainline software engineering mm. practices um and i think what we're also starting to see as a result of that is a blurring of the lines between the data lake and the warehouse in terms of the mm. technologies are starting to scale and with the idea that we are now starting to separate compute and storage and that, that's important because historically a data warehouse was a big box and if you had enough money it would be a big appliance from from a company like Terradata, which would be a you know, huge rack size thing and it would have all the yeah. compute storage in it and that's how it would get a, obtain its speed because it's all you know highly performing hardware mm. and so now what we're seeing is a lot of commodity hardware where those things are being separated out and you're able to scale those things separately but as a result of that we're starting to see things like it's become much more viable to do um elt again now which is extract load transform which is that basically you can run all your transformation using your data warehouse yeah whereas for you know 10 years ago, we were trying to take as much of that out of the data warehouse because the things were very hard to scale because they would be one box with you know, X CPUs in it. We wanted mm. to get that limit. You couldn't go any further. So you tried to offload transformation onto compute clusters. Now we're starting to see tools that enable us to do more of that ELT again, yeah. which is having a big impact. And it's good because it low, lowers the barrier to entry as well because it means you can go back to expressing transformations using SQL. Um, we're also seeing things like there's this... this this concept of a data fabric, um, which is it's an attempt to unify the access and management of a company's various data assets, if you like. Yeah. And so what it's trying to do is say things like, oh, well, we'll have a single data catalog with everything in there. We might have a single um, you know, query endpoint that you that you query, and then that goes off and routes out to where all the different data is stored. Um, so tools like Starburst do that, as an example. Yeah. Um, and then again, a lot of these things are trying to provide sort of pre-built connectors for data sets. So you see a lot of the cloud providers trying to build out their cloud ecosystem. So you're not just getting, you know, data lake storage and data warehousing and querying. You're also getting things like pre-built connectors in the case of things like Amazon AppFlow and that kind of thing. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, could you maybe give a bit of a, oh, I'm just thinking if there's people potentially listening um, that aren't aware of some of the things that we're talking about there, um, there's probably three major data architecture components would you say um data lakes warehouses and applications um completely correct me if i'm wrong but um could you maybe give the context of when might be best to utilize each one depending on the on the business 
certainly. So I think I think Data Lake is probably the starting point for most analytics stacks these days. So the idea of the Data Lake is it's a bunch of cheap storage where you can drop data in as close to its raw format as possible. And then you have a, a query engine on top of that that can query that thing. So the big difference here is you're tending to store data as files, as individual files, rather than as um, you know, records inside a database. I know database mm. themselves are files, but I'll explain that in a minute. But the idea is to sort of say, well, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it as close to the raw format as possible. We'll stamp some metadata on it and then we'll make it available. So the idea there is you've ingested as much data as possible. So this is really good if, if you're, as an organization, you've struggled with not being able to store enough data, either due to cost reasons or to structure reasons. Yeah. Um, because they use cheap storage like Amazon's S3, um, which is, you know, a fraction of the cost of a database um, hmm. storage tier um, and you can then query that it's not the fastest thing in the world and it requires a bit more specialist skills but it tends to be very you know, very cheap and easy to, to scale um, over on the other side you've got data warehouses where storage tends to be more expensive but the things are very very quick and so what happens there is you you ingest data into it in a structured format as a general rule. So you would, you would ingest uh, as if it was a normal database. So you take your JSON and you'd have to flatten it out so that you could have it as different tables um, and link those together with relationships. But the benefit of that is there's, uh, the data warehouse will store that and it'll be very, very quick to query, whereas links can be quite slow. Hmm. Um, and as I said earlier, the lines are blurring on those two as well. So you've got things like Snowflake that'll let you query um, Snowflake as a data warehouse plus a stage in S3. Redshift awfully does that with something called Spectrum, whereby you can just hit that and it'll either route your query out to the data lake, depending on the tables you're talking to, or they'll go down directly into Redshift storage. Um, so you're seeing all of that sort of blurring as well. And that's why we've got this idea of a lake house concept. Yeah. I think when you get to applications, that's where you've got different kind of things. So you've got some applications that help with ingestion that are things like your inbound data pipelines. So this might be, um, you know, some like five channel, whatever that you use to pull in data from um, your Facebook or a Twitter API or something and drop that directly into your data lakes so that you can process it um, and then load it into the warehouse that so you can do some enrichment in terms of, oh, you know, within this sale is linked to these, these, you know, these kind of campaigns or what have you. Um, and then you've got the sort of consuming applications, which is things like BI tools. So this would be things like Power BI or Tableau, uh, or in Amazon's case, QuickSight, which let you, you know, build reports and dashboards. And then you've got all the data science tooling that's available. And there's a plethora of those from things like Databricks uh, to Amazon SageMaker. And there's just so many to choose from, which mm. let you basically you know, run data science applications against that, notebooks and that kind of thing. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think a lot of what we've talked about um, of the last uh, ten or fifteen minutes, as well as has, has been stuff that might not have been around in you know five years ago. There's there's a lot of uh, evolving in this space. Do you think that is affecting or changing the future profile of what a, a data team might look like in a business? Absolutely. Um... I think there's no doubt. As I say, we've gone from from you know having uh, database administrators, analy and analysts, and, and potentially some BI developers back sort of 10, 15 years ago to having uh, there's been an explosion of, of skill sets. So you know we're seeing data engineers, uh, data scientists. Obviously, we've still got analysts and DBAs and what have you. Uh, we then start to see more specialisations such as ML engineers, which are there to help sort of you know, rig up the machine learning algorithms that people are running that data scientists come with to run at scale and to be able to you know 
have low latency and and run through all those deployments between environments and do things like you know um blue green deployments and, and mm. canaries and that kind of thing um and even now we're starting to see the concept of things like analytics engineers which is something where in between sort of a data engineer and an analyst in terms of of, of the skills that they have and, and their role um i think even even with the with roles that um have been around for a long time like you know qa and, and ba so you know testers and business analysts effectively yep. um that there's we're now seeing people with data specializations in that so people being a data ba or a data qa because that's not necessarily because they do a load of data analysis as well but because they specialize in the the testing and and the the sort of requirements gathering design of, of data systems mm. yeah yeah absolutely i i can see that happening and from a recruitment perspective um we're, we're seeing such an increase in in, in data and uh, BI roles. Um, I mean, here at Robert Walters, we, I think one of our highest performing teams is in that space. So um, it's obviously a hot market um, and there's lots and lots of new roles and newly created positions uh, in that space, which is, um, which is great to see. Um, if we maybe kind of fast forward then to what the challenges might be for a business then moving forward that could be within recruitment that could be within um any element of of, of that, that data piece what, what do you think they are for a business so uh, i'm going to talk predominantly around the data side of things obviously um yeah. <laughs> so i think i think for i think the number one challenge frankly in my experience has been hiring skilled data people yeah it's still very hard um data engineers in particular um I think that's one of the reasons that we're seeing interest in in, in industry around things like these analytics engineer roles. So mm. a data engineer um, start off building all the data transformations and what have you, but then that's that sort of slided in more onto the DevOps side as well. So you know it, it starts to encompass things like actually spinning up infrastructure and so in all the data engineering functions I've led. Um, recently have all, have all been responsible for infrastructure as code so we built we built all the environments out with terraform and that kind of thing as well yeah. so obviously that means it's becoming a much wider more technical role in terms of the infrastructure as well as being technical in terms of data whereas the idea of an analytics engineer is somebody who can write the transformations in a, in a pre-built framework um and so they can be focused more on data transformation and not have to have those in-depth skills around the infrastructure mm. Um, so it sort of it sort of frees them it frees them up to be more focused on on meeting business needs rather than worrying about you know observability as well and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think um, the other challenge around sort of the hiring and recruitment is that we're seeing you know, specialisations pop up reasonably frequently. So every couple of years a new one will come up. So the last one I was aware of was an analytics engineer. Before that, we started to see ML engineers popping up. Um, we're just seeing more increased specialization because the increased complexity in the space. And of course, it's very hard to, 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 how do you find people like that? How do you train them? You know, what does it mean? So trying to find those people is difficult as well as trying to grow them internally. Um, and particularly with the job market as it is, it, 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 it's quite painful at times. Mm, absolutely. I mean, uh, we, we see exactly the same thing, but I, I guess as you as a hiring manager, I mean, what sort of things have you done to um, help with hiring in a candidate short market? Is, is there any, any kind of tips or tricks that you've found along the way that, that has helped with that? I think the main thing is to, is to be clear on what, what you will and won't accept in terms of skills and what, what 
you can do to help people grow because I think if you're trying to unless you're somebody with a huge amount of capital behind you it's going to be difficult to to get um everybody at sort of tech lead level yeah um so you you, you do have to accept that you are likely to have to compromise on the skill level you might be looking for with the market this hot but in order to do that, you've got to be very clear in terms of making sure that people can be trained and mentored. So it's very important to give people important training tools. So personally, I like uh, uh, Safari Books, which is now a rally online, I think, uh, yep. which gives people you know, a, a plethora of textbooks and, and, and companies are obviously often things like Udemy subscriptions as well, because I think HR departments are, are leaning into this as well, acknowledging that we are going to have to take people on and train them. Um, but it's also yeah. good for existing staff because obviously the space keeps moving. So you have to keep learning more stuff just like you do across the whole of technology anyway. So I think those are probably the important things, making sure that you're partnering with specialists where you can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, do, do you think that there, there is an increase of maybe uh, the younger generation getting into the, the, the data space? I know it's a relatively newer part of the technology world. Are, are you seeing a, a larger amount of people coming through at that that kind of junior level or uh, how, how are you finding that market as a hiring manager? I, th- I think the answer is yes and, and no. So I, I think we're seeing more people coming through for things like data science. So yep. we're seeing more people interested in data in general. So we're seeing a lot more data analysts and data scientists. I think new graduates doing data engineering is quite it, it, it's not it's not rare as such but we are seeing less of it compared to things like data science yeah so because i think a lot of engineers are still interested in the web and, and back end and front end engineering as and perhaps so software engineering degrees and computer science degrees may not be covering sort of data engineering in much detail i certainly know when i did my degree we didn't even touch on data warehousing i didn't yeah. know think until i actually got out and saw one um yeah. So I, I'm sure there's more of that data focus there, but I think we're seeing a lot on data science and less on engineering. Now we have had some people in my last role who would come who would come in as graduates and they've done a really good job. Mm. And it was great to see you know new people come in with that. But I think that's an area we're still struggling with. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I think we're pretty much coming to the end of what we were setting out to discuss today, Mark. But is there is there anything else that you think uh people might want to hear about or is there anything that you might have missed that maybe you want to have a quick conversation around i, th- I think the main thing i would say is that if you're interested in data uh do learn more about it it is really interesting and if you're if you're not in the data space and you were interested in perhaps a career in the data space definitely do some research because there's just so much happening so through this thing i've given my opinions obviously listed off a bunch of technologies but there's dozens more so there's just there's just something for everybody i think it'd be what i would say Excellent. No, that's great. Well, look, Mark, thank you very much for joining me to talk through some fantastic uh, talking points there. Um, Some really interesting views. Um, We'll obviously be back with another episode uh, in the near future around some other elements of the technology market. Um, We'll catch you on the next episode soon. Uh, Have a good day. Cheers. Bye.